0: Making our way verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Old Testament, learning a lot. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, just another night where we're, our hearts are before the living word of God. Lord, just life-changing things can happen when we combine what we're hearing with faith and listen and submit and put into practice the word from God powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to go way deep inside of our hearts and do the work that we need so desperately to become more like Jesus, and that's our goal tonight. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Well, let me catch you up to where we are here in 1 Kings 12, Solomon has died. Now... The third king of Israel has gone the way of all the earth, as King David put it about dying. What is up with that? I mean, seriously, think about that. All that wisdom, all those women, all that wealth, all that frenzied building and all that glittering gold and everything, and still he has to die, wow. It's appointed unto men once to die, and nobody escapes, nobody gets out alive, really, unless, of course, you're alive when the Lord comes. And then that's a little small fraction of those who will be translated and taken up to be with the Lord. But Solomon wrote of this strange irony, didn't he, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2? Let me read it for you, paraphrase. For the wise person and the fool both die... And in the days to come, both will be forgotten. Then I hated life because of the futility on this planet. How frustrating to have to leave the fruits of my hard work to others. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? And yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and my hard work. How meaningless. Well, it's time for someone else to live in Solomon's palace. It's time for someone else to sleep in his bed. It's time for somebody else to command his troops. It's time for somebody else to access his wealth. And this man didn't lift a finger for any of it. And that's exactly what Solomon's talking about in Ecclesiastes, what? That just doesn't seem right, but God has a plan. Now, as for your concern, Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, whether your successor who gets access to everything you spend a lifetime working for is going to be wise or foolish, I can tell you that your boy, who is going to be the heir apparent, uh, is not wise. He's a fool, as the Bible will call him. And so tonight we're going to see this heir apparent. Uh, ascend to the throne and see and meet the one who comes after Solomon to get all of his stuff. Uh, Verse one, one through five. Now, Rehoboam, that's his boy, went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, no relation, just a rival for the throne, all right? When Jeroboam heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam, the son, and said to him, Your father, Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. All right, so if you're taking notes, number one, a new king. A new king. Time for a new king. But the question is, who will be that king? So the context, really, uh, just so you can catch up with me, um, it should naturally go to Solomon's firstborn son, Rehoboam, all right? Uh, but the reader is already wary uh, because we've been allowed to eavesdrop and we already know the Lord told Solomon when Solomon had sinned at the end of his life. The culmination of the end of his life was just terrible. He's worshiping other gods and just committing just unconscionable sins. And so the Lord said to him in chapter 11, so we already know what's happening here. Uh, So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you haven't kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I most certainly will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son, Rehoboam. So we already know Rehoboam is getting ready to be crowned, but the reader knows Ah, uh, that's not really what we've heard is going to happen. So we already have the anticipation. You know, Solomon, you, you've, you've led your family and, and the nation on a path of rebellion and from which it will not recover. Uh, so it's really sad. It's really sad to see because this is the fruit of Solomon's sinning. Of course, everybody is held responsible for their own sins, right? But he set them up. He set them up to fail, and we're watching it here. I, I read one quote here, disobedience to God is like pulling on the loose thread of the sweater, and you watch as the whole thing comes undone. So I would say to somebody who's being disobedient and watching their lives unravel, just stop pulling the string, amen? Well, <laughs> oh, I thought that was profound, all right. <laughs> and, You all looked at me like, duh, yeah, all right. Uh, Better not let me catch you pulling any strings then, right? you're so smart, right? All right, okay, amen, thank you. Not only does the reader know that God's determined that Rehoboam uh, not fully reign, he's gonna get the kingdom torn out of his hands, we know who will be the king because we heard about this, this other character in the story, Jeroboam, similar name, confuses everybody. I can't just keep them straight either, but I play little games in my head with the J and the R, but uh, uh, we're, we're gonna talk about that today. So Jeroboam, as you will recall, last time, and the reason we know Jeroboam's gonna be king and not the heir apparent, is God sent a prophet to Jeroboam, remember last time? And what did the prophet do? He met him in a field. And he took his coat, his new regal coat, and he said, I got this scissors, give me a coat. And he cuts it up into 12 pieces, representing the 12 states of Israel. And he said, take 10, because you're gonna be king over 10. But we're gonna withhold two, because Rehoboam is gonna get to keep one tribe. Now, by the way, uh, Judah is called the one tribe. But it always includes, when you hear Judah, it includes Benjamin. So it gets a little confusing there, but it's Benjamin and and Judah called Judah, all right? And so, we already know, God went to him and said, look, schemer, uh, I know you want the throne, and in fact, it will be by my grace, I am actually going to give you the throne. Uh, And if you obey me, I can make this really work. Uh, And so, unfortunately, the guy's not going to obey uh, the Lord, and so, uh, so Jeroboam fled to Egypt because Solomon found out that he wanted the throne. And so Jeroboam has been gone to Egypt. Now for context, he hears, it gets all the way to Egypt. Hey, Solomon's dead. And he's like, hey, I'm safe. And he knows the prophecy because Ahijah was sent to him and gave him 10 pieces of his own coat. So he knows the Lord said he's going to be king. So now it's safe to come back. All right, so now you are caught up here. Now, let me just show you the map, and this'll help, we'll just keep it on there, and and we put it in big letters so that we can keep these Jeroboam, Rehoboam straight, all right? I'll explain it later, but every time that we're talking about these characters, you'll know that Rehoboam is Solomon's boy. Sometimes I just call him Ray and Jerry. That way, it's just so much easier because Ray is the son and Jerry is the rival, all right? And so it's just a little bit easier for me. Whatever works for you, all right? Now, we'll leave that up there and let's examine the text. So of this text, Alexander McLaren, one of uh, my favorite uh, Scottish uh, preachers from the 1800s, but what a scholar, uh, he said of this text, a miserable story of stupidity and arrogance. So, just to let you know what's coming, it's not pretty, all right? So the logical heir, maybe Solomon picked uh, this boy, and everybody knows this is the guy, Rehoboam, is gonna be king. So a central location there in Israel is Shechem, and so even though the, the people didn't choose a king, they, they kind of made a compact with the king and so they all gathered together like they did with David and Saul. They had a meeting place and there would be a sacrifice and kind of a covenant between the king and the people. And so that's taking place here. Rehoboam is expecting to be crowned king at this place and all Israel is gathered. By the way, 1,000 wives, how many children do we, th- well, do we know that Solomon had? How many sons? One. I know, really, right? <laughs> how, do, how is that possible? Well, I think the moral of that story is sin does not promote a healthy family. It just doesn't. You can't build your life of being a playboy. It just doesn't happen. So let's move on, since that was awkward. Number, uh, <laughs> verse two. Uh, you know, Jerry has fled to Egypt. You know he has an in with Pharaoh, right? Because what Pharaoh likes this guy because he hates Israel. All right. Well, or he has some anti-Israel sentiment. Uh, sentiment, I should say. Uh, so anyway, he harbors him from the king. And now that he's uh, dead, Solomon's dead. He's going to come back because he's mindful of the prophecy, and uh, he's going to return now to be the spokesman for the ten tribes. Okay, and uh, they are meeting with the with the future king to negotiate some social reform. All right. So in verse four, here's kind of what they say: uh, Look, Rehoboam. We'll give you our allegiance if you lighten up on us. Your dad was heavy-handed, man. A big workload, taxes, ease up on us, and we'll sign on the dotted line. We mentioned this last time. Well, guys, you know, remember when you wanted a king? You wanted to exchange the Lord who was your king? The Lord was hurt. The Lord was offended. He, he told Samuel, Samuel was offended too, because they said, hey, you're old, you're gonna die. This is what they said to him in the text. You're old, you're ready to die, your boys aren't qualified, uh, we want a king. And so Samuel felt rejected, and Samuel said, I don't think you know what you're asking for. He went before the Lord, and the Lord said, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. I've been their king. But no, they want a a king like all the other nations have. And so this king that they're craving is going to be a thorn in their side. And that's what Samuel told them, but they didn't care. Uh, Who who did you think was going to build his palace and sustain the royal palace and fight his armies, fight in his armies and support his government, right? It's going to be them. And uh, now they're feeling it. One writer said, when we trade in a privilege of being a child of God because we want to be like everyone else in the world, instead of the freedom and prestige we were looking for, uh, there's cruel bondage and disappointing emptiness. So the temptation is to say with Israel, hey, I want to be like my friends. I want to be free like my friends. I want to do this like the world does it. And instead of finding freedom, you always find bondage. So it's kind of funny. The slave of the Lord is the truly free person. When you're when you're in bondage to God, you are so free from the tyranny of self and sin and spiritual warfare and all of that. But being freed from the Lord is when you're truly a slave. Just uh. so, with Jeroboam out in front, Israel puts forth this proposition with its conditions, hey, some reforms, then we'll serve you. Let's see what the future king thinks about that. Verse five through 11. Rehoboam answers, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? He asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant, oh wow, starting out, if you want to serve these people and serve them, if you want to be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke of your that your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke, I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions, okay. How to win friends and influence people, not. All right, Uh, number two. So uh, number one was a new king. Number two, sage advice, if you're taking notes. Ray wants to buy some time. He says, "Uh, oh, give me three days to think about this and come back." So wisely, he asked first counsel from uh, the older guys, the older guys who were out of his immediate situation, who served his father, the wisest king that ever lived. That was smart and fitting. He doesn't know what to do, so he goes to these seasoned men, and what do they say? They say, respond kindly and grant them what they're asking for, and you'll win them over for life, he says. Serve them, twice in one phrase. If you want to be their servant and serve them, wow, do you get that? Because that's what God wants of Christian leaders, to serve, not to lord the authority over other people, but to serve, and so Moses was a servant of the Lord, Joshua, Samuel, and David. They were all uh, very godly men because they served. Jesus, our Lord, the second person of the Godhead, God himself in a human body, said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, I have not come to be served. I have come to, to serve. And then he gets up and he washes the disciples' dirty feet. Just an amazing thing. And then he said, just so you know, the greatest in God's kingdom is the person who serves with the the greatest servitude. The the greatest servant is the greatest among you. Uh, Generally speaking, when you're in a position to make someone's situation better, to lighten burdens and enrich lives, it's a no-brainer, so... You know, they're coming and saying, hey, we have it it rough. We're under heavy oppression here. Could you just ease up on us? The smart thing to do, the elders say, be kind and merciful. How can you lose? Mean Christians is an anomaly of terms. How can you be mean and not merciful and unsympathetic when the living God lives in your heart. It just doesn't make sense. So verses eight through 11, uh, but the kindness approach doesn't resonate with Rehoboam, and so he goes, what one writer calls advice shopping, all right? He doesn't like that. He doesn't want to say, you serve the word serve twice in one sentence. I'm done with this. Hey, has somebody else got something to say? So he goes to his homies his peers, his buddies, those he's tight with, he grew up with, because he wants to get out of them what he wants to hear. He sets himself up so that you know it's just a show to go and ask just for the sake of appearance. So rather than listen to the older, wiser guys who are outside the immediate situation, uh, he's gonna waste his time and he gathers his friends like we do, we gather our friends around us. You know, we hear something, that we should or shouldn't be doing, and so we don't want to do it, and so what we do is we gather our friends around us and say, kind of prime the pump and kind of hint and tell them what we really want to hear. This is how I feel, I really trust your opinion, but this is how I feel, friend of mine, and this is why I'm confiding in you, you know, and so we build it up, so they they already know, we let them know, this is the response I want from you, and if you're really my friend, and you want to stay my friend, you will give me what I want to hear, amen? Yeah, it's an amen to that we do it, but not an amen that it's the right thing to do, amen? Amen. (laughs) All right. All right, and so, yeah, uh, he just wants an excuse to become a self-absorbed tyrant and a dictator, and he, he goes to his friends. After all, what are friends for, right? And so Warren Weir'sby says, we make our decisions, and then our decisions turn around and make us so that when we are seeking counsel like this man, we ought to really take care that we get godly advice. So here's the paraphrase in verses 10 through 11. Here's what the young guys say. Are you kidding? You wanna be known as Mr. Softy? Ray, show them who's boss. Throw your shoulders back, man. Chest out and say, you're messing with the wrong hombre. You think (laughs) it's Spanish for (laughs) men. Oh, that's a tough crowd tonight. You think my dad was bad? Wait till I get going here. Now I've got some modern-day metaphors because that's an idiom. You think my father's strong? Well, I uh, I'm in my little finger stronger than his biceps. Something like it doesn't make sense in English to us. But uh, how about this? Uh, my father was like a thunderstorm. I'm going to be a tornado. Does that make sense? Yeah. You don't like that one. How about this one? <laughs> <laughs> My father was like a flood, I'm gonna be a tsunami. Getting better or worse? Worse, I knew it. All right, let me try one more. My father was like a 22 gauge shotgun, I'm gonna be like a AK-47. All right, I'm done with this. I'm going home to watch TV. (laughs) In, In defense of his father, by the way, uh, Solomon's father wasn't whipping them like that. Solomon's father was demanding, but he served them. He was kind of like a celebrity, but he kind of negotiated with the people. The people weren't serving Solomon, building the palace complexes out of fear. They shared that vision. He, he, he had a vision. He shared that, and they were serving It was a shared vision. They were willing to sacrifice and accomplish goals that way. Uh, Let's move on. But before we do, uh, commentary uh, written by Russell Dilday said, Now, with a dozen rash words, Rehoboam, the bungling dictator, opened the door for 400 years of strife, weakness, and eventually the destruction of the entire nation. Pretty serious. Onward, 12 through 17. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I scourged you with scorpions. Scorpion is a kind of whip there. The Hebrew word there is just, it's a, it's a more severe kind of whip with metal fragments and things like that. Verse 15. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word of the Lord that he had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah. Verse 16, when all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel, look after your own house, O David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the town of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. Ah, okay. So we have a new king, we have sage advice, and now a deep divide. If you're taking notes, a deep divide divine. Well, so much for listening to the advice of your friends. Sometimes it's like that. It blows up in your face. Uh, So in keeping with God's plan to rip the kingdom from Rehoboam, uh, Rehoboam's going to harden his heart and deliver this harsh response and kind of says, you guys are in for it. And he thinks that's going to work. Well, the ten tribes split and they chant. They chant something from Uh, Sheba, in 2 Samuel 20, a troublemaker who hated David, he chanted the same chant. And so it says, down with David's family, you guys are on your own. Down with David's family. Uh, King Rehoboam gets Judah, right? So he's gonna get one tribe, really kind of two, and 10 tribes break free. Okay, let's take a look at this. This is the end of Israel, Israel never recovers. Done. There are two new nations, Israel and Judah, which includes Benjamin. All right? Never again for all of Old Testament history will Israel be one nation. Israel will always be divided north and south and have two kings. There'll be 20 kings in the north and they'll all be bad, evil, There'll be 20 kings in the south. Some will be good, but most will be bad. King Jeroboam, up in the north, will be he's the fir- very first king of the divided king- kings. And then we have Solomon's boy, Rehoboam, here at, uh, governing in the south. Uh, 70 years later. So the north will survive until... 722 BC, then they're done. They're gone forever. Assyria comes in and destroys them, takes them off to Assyria, just destroys the place. There's no more Israel. Only Judah's left for the next 200 years. So in about, at about 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar the, from Iraq comes in and destroys the place and takes them to Iraq. It's called the Babylonian exile. So really, the 20 kings in the north and the 20 kings in the south, uh, they get a couple hundred years, and then they're wiped out. They get another 150 years more, and then they're taken away. 70 years later, the southern kingdom is revived because the Jews return with the help of Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and a couple other guys like Haggai. There's a restoration here, but never again will Israel be united until, as an independent country, until 1948. All those thousands of years, Israel is not an independent nation. They're governed or ruled, or occupied. And in 1948, they become in one day a nation as it is prophesied. Can there be a nation born in one day? And it was a rhetorical question because Israel was born in one day and that prophecy was fulfilled. Now, next on the prophetic calendar, just in case you're wondering, because this is how God works in the whole world is through his people. And right now, they're on temporary hold. They're on a timeout as he's dealing with the Gentiles. So he's saving the world. When the last Gentile is saved, he goes back to working in the world through this nation. And so the next thing is, the church is removed. Then we start ticking on Israel's time clock, seven-year tribulation. At the end of that tribulation, where the Antichrist has been the savior of Israel and the president of the world, ruling from this country, which is very interesting. When Armageddon, the dawn of Armageddon at the end, the Jews have a massive Christian conversion and all of Israel, Romans 11.25, shall be saved. Most of the Jews turn to their Messiah. He comes back, and Israel is is a Christian nation. Then the Christian nation, Jesus, the son of David, Jesus through his mother and father, stepfather, is related to David. David's son, Jesus, will then sit on the throne under a united Israel, and Israel will be a superpower in the thousand year reign to come called the millennial kingdom. The church, we're already in our glorified bodies. We reign and rule alongside with Israel in that thousand year period. So just, just saying, just throwing that out there. <laughs> I just got a little excited there. Oh, You'll finish out. I mean, isn't it exciting? I mean, God's got a lot in store and I'm ready and willing, amen, be a part of that. All right, we'll keep that up there. Let's finish up. Now, King Rehoboam sent out, so the 10 tribes take off and they say, oh, we're, we're, you're not gonna be king over us. You're not the boss of me, essentially. All right, verse 18. Now, King Rehoboam sends out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. Not a good response. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get in his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. All Israel means what? How many tribes? 10, very good. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David, just like God said. And by the way, it will always be just as God said. Verse 21, when Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered the whole, whole house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, there it is included in Judah as one tribe, 180,000 fighting men to make war against the house of Israel, the 10 tribes to the north, to regain the kingdom Rehoboam son of Solomon but this word of God came to Shemaiah thus the man of God say to Rehoboam son of Solomon king of Judah to the whole house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people this is what the Lord says do not go up and fight against your brothers the Israelites go home every one of you for this is my doing So they obeyed the word of the Lord, a miracle, and went home again, as the Lord had ordered. All right, the new king, sage advice, a deep divide, and now divine intervention. All right, you've heard the saying, better late than never, but sometimes that's true, and other times it's not. In this text, it was not, and what happened was Rehoboam tries a little belated diplomacy. Now, why does he send Adoniram? Adoniram's in charge of the, the conscription, the drafted labor force. So that was their big thing, right? So he's sending a guy to negotiate, okay, all right. I've sent in the guy, maybe we can work a deal. And so the 10 tribes say, we're gonna tell you what we think about your belated diplomacy. And they kill the guy. So he gets word of that, he gets in his chair and he goes, let's go to Jerusalem and get out of here. And so, you know what I wanna to say to him, Pal, you lit the fire. You told these guys, I'm basically gonna beat you guys into the ground, your wives, your kids, everything. Your life's gonna be miserable. And they're thinking, it's, it's him or us. That's what they're thinking. I'm not condoning what happened there. I'm just saying, you know, when you play with fire, Whatever happened to a gentle answer turned away wrath or a gentle answer breaks a bone. There's power in, in love and kindness and, and walking with the Lord in that kind of sensitivity. Okay, so he flees for his life in verse 18. So take a look at this. Rehoboam has certainly taken the wrong approach. He's listened to the wrong advice. He sent the wrong person to be a mediator. What other blunder could he make? Well, here it is. He could, de- <laughs> he could declare war on everybody. You know what? You're not going to serve me? Well, then I- I'll kill you all. <laughs> I- I'll-, I'll make you serve me. I'll strong arm you down to the ground. So he's going to declare war. So he, he musters up 180,000 troops. and He's going to beat these guys into submission. Verse 21. And maybe we could kill Jeroboam while we're at it because, you know, he's the rival king. Now, the Lord stirs the heart of a trusted prophet in verse 22, and what does he say in verse 23? He says, give it up, man, give it up. They're your brothers, for crying out loud. Stop and think about what you're about to do. Go home, every last one of you. I'm in this. You want to be fighting against me? I don't think so. Go home, and as I said, brace yourself, The Israelites obeyed. It doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, it's a beautiful thing. Um, One writer, it's a beautiful thing when in the height of our raging passions, the Lord's voice can cut through our madness and get us to change course, and by doing so, avert a big disaster. The voice of the Lord spoke in the midst of all of this frenzy, And it worked, they listened. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord thunders in mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. Do you hear that voice? Can you hear that voice? Oh, blessed voice of God that can come through the word A Christian's mouth, a sermon, the Bible off the page, just to get in there and cause us to avert disaster. What a blessing. Right before you lie, there's always that split second where God's like, seriously? He's like, there, like, remember me? (laughs) You know? Right before you're gonna take something that doesn't belong to you. Right before you're gonna slander somebody's good name just cause you're all bent on shape. Go teach them to mess with me. And right before, you know what I'm talking about. You're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Right as it's happening, the word just cuts in there and he's like, God, you got a chance right here. Here's the open door, just take it and turn. You gotta have courage. For me, in those moments, I just go into faith. I just go, I just, I just go into faith. I don't need to feel it. I, don't, I just need to, when I see that the, the Lord is talking to me, I just stop. Just stop. It's a, it's a beautiful thing when God's voice comes in and you can hear it, and it's even more beautiful when you do it. Amen? It brings life. All right, time for the reflections. Here's what I did. I scooted back. I got my keyboard. And I said, Ross, what did you learn from this? Here I go, number one. (laughs) One of the best things I can do for my kids is obey the Lord. A legacy of a faithful Christian life will bring them blessing. My disobedience will set them up. And others I love for difficulties, number one. Number two, advice shopping defeats the whole purpose of looking for counsel. When in a jam, it's helpful to seek older, godly people who are outside of the immediate situation. True friends don't tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. There's four of them, so we're at number three now. God's people should always lead with mercy. Serving people with kindness is disarming and encourages them to return the same kind of behavior. Jesus said, "Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy." Anybody here want to receive mercy? Then you must be merciful. It's a prerequisite Last one, number four. When tempers flare and passions are hot and we're very determined, God's voice and his word comes through. Obey it. You'll be happy you did. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. So Father God, we thank you for just these little lessons, these spiritual life lessons, truths that set our hearts free and help us. Just to keep aware and alert to live our Christian life pleasing to God our Father. We thank you. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for the closing song. What I really appreciate about God's grace is how easy it is wherever we find ourselves to just start being faithful. So wherever you find yourself tonight, even if you have a regret about something, you can say you have tonight. So all of these characters always have the opportunity to say, okay, I blew it last chapter, but you know, this next chapter, You wait till you read what you're you're gonna read. I mean, because I'm going to repent, I'm going to open my heart, I'm gonna be faithful. And things get better when we do that. We can write the chapter out by obeying however you want your life to go in the next year. Write it out. Write it out by your heart and your openness right now. It will make such a difference. Forget about what lies behind, as Paul says, Philippians 3. Start tonight. Start tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace to start tonight by just responding in obedience when we hear the voice of the Lord to obey it and be blessed. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless you. There's prayer at the cross. We'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you.